Well, we continue on our our journey through some of the, the covenants or promises that are in the Hebrew Bible. Today's story is, is not exactly a covenant, but boy, is it important in our world to hear that God is present in this way. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 14. There's a few places that I'm skipping so that we can get the whole story in our time. Um, this is the time when um, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And this is after the plagues have happened. And the people have fled. And this is where our story picks up. Beginning with verse 5 in chapter 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, What have we done letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 elite chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to his people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you, only, and you have only to be still. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground and the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of the Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in, in, a, in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptians' army into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at, the, and at dawn, the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, the chariot drivers, the entire army of the Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. 
May God grant us understanding of these words today. Every community has a story that shapes its life. A story that is told over and over. A story from which they draw hope. A story from which they, they kind of talk about how they build a dream on that story. A story from which they draw courage. Danger averted. People band together. Everyone did their part. And another thing about these stories is, is it's a testament to how God showed up. In, our, in a way, that story to, our story today is that kind of a story. The stakes were very high. The people of God were, just, were not just putting their money on the line. They were putting their lives on the line. They were betting that God could deliver them from the hand of their enemies, the Egyptians. And so God did, leading them straight through the deep waters of the Red Sea to salvation or safety on the other side. To safety, to a new life fraught with twists and turns and the scary unfamiliar. They were never alone, but it was scary nonetheless. There's this meme that I absolutely adore, and I've shared it with some of my pastor friends, and it's a meme showing Moses and the Israelites going through the desert, and they're going... the the road goes back and forth and back and forth. And at the bottom, the caption of this meme is recalculating. Now, how many in you and your GPS come up with that once in a while? You know, when I come over from Hillsboro to here, you know, I don't go freeway. I come over Germantown Road, but my GPS always thinks I should go freeway. And so as I cross over Highway 26 and head up um, Cornelius Pass Road to... Um, to catch Germantown Road, I always get that recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And I think that that, that is kind of a, an illustration of how our lives have been in the past few years. We have spent a whole lot of time recalculating. We have. <laughs> Apartments aside, we as a congregation have spent a lot of time recalculating. So we know that that's a fact of life. Now I wonder, though, if we look at this idea of, of traveling through deep water, if there might be something in that that we can connect with as well. When we look at the idea of deep water in our world today, I come up with a couple of things that, um, that could be meaningful to us. Out of nowhere, we find ourselves surrounded by hurt and chaos. Cancer, tragedy, financial hardship, a pandemic, political unrest. Sometimes what we think is a stable world turns out to be a world fraught with danger, sometimes even fraught with evil. That's what I mean by deep water. It's that thing that happens in troubled times when we're caught between the place of safety and a place of danger. And I think that that's part of our lives in this world that we live in today. On Friday evening, I was at a clergy gathering at Portland First Christian Church that started at 6 p.m. 
Now, do you guys know what happened about that time in Portland? They were getting ready for President Biden to come into town. First Christian Church Portland is right near the park blocks. While we're sitting there in the courtyard, we hear sirens, and it soon becomes apparent that there's a shooting at 12th and Jefferson. At the same time, we see all these helicopters flying above the area that we are, and they're loud. They're so incredibly loud. News stations, yes, but um, Coast Guard? And some other helicopters, and we're there in this place, gathering as clergy to kind of support each other. We're talking together about the challenges in ministry, and there are a lot of challenges in ministry in our world right now. There just are. And we know that, don't we? We've experienced that here, haven't we? So we're sitting there in this group and we're receiving empathy from those who know what they're talking about. And for a little while, we don't feel alone, even though we're hearing all the chaos around us. Deep water around us. Safety in a place of dry land. Can we relate to this story, do you think? As I was preparing for this sermon, um, I googled the most defining moments in U.S. history in the last hundred years. Some of those things didn't surprise me. For example, World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, the Civil Rights Movement, um, the Vietnam War were all on the list. And I noticed that there were some things that were missing as well. Um, because the, evidently they didn't affect the whole world or a whole country. They affected some. I'm talking about things like the Dust Bowl era. Um, it was devastating for the families in the central part of the U.S. I know about this because my family was affected. My grandfather lost his farm twice in the Dust Bowl. I was born in 1961. Yes, you can do the math. I'll be 61 next month. Uh, so my re recollection of the defining moments is somewhat shorter than 100 years. Probably of that list, the most um, in the front of my face one would be the Vietnam War. Um, it was significant to me because two of my brothers served um, in that war, one in the Army, one in the Air Force. Um, and I remember when they came home. I was young, but I still remember that. So when we look at our history as a country, we've been through a whole lot of deep water and I want to say that deep water experiences can alter our lives forever. Until recently, I would have said that the most potentially impactful defining moment in history in my lifetime happened in our country 
in 9-11-2001. I can remember where I was when I first heard the news. So much of our life changed that morning. As a family, we had been to the World Trade Center at the end of July before that. And little eight-year-old Sarah was so concerned about all those people who were selling things in the courtyard outside of the Twin Towers. As a country, we will never be the same since that thing happened. But I want us to fast forward to the last few years. I don't think any of us could have predicted the present situation. If this isn't a deep water situation full of fear and unpredictability, I don't know what is. I really don't know what is. So much has changed since March 2020 when the world essentially shut down. People even then disagreed on how to move forward. And still, today, we don't have a clear picture on what it's going to look like on the other side of this. You know, is it going to be an endemic? Is it going to be something like the flu where we get shots every year? What is it going to be? Are people going to be comfortable meeting in large groups inside? For some, yes. They're going to be comfortable with that, and others, no. Now more than ever, I can relate to this story we are exploring today. It was, a, it was long ago when Moses led the children of, Egypt, of Israel, Israel out of Egypt. You know the story. We talked about it. God called Moses, a lonely nomad in the desert, to come to proclaim a word of judgment on Pharaoh. God heard the cry of God's people and was sending a reluctant Moses to lead them. But as Moses feared, I remember reading the story and hearing that Moses said, God, this isn't going to work. Pharaoh did not listen. It took many plagues, the death of the firstborn in every household, including the Pharaohs, before Pharaoh finally allowed the children of Israel to leave. After this last plague, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt roused their slaves in the middle of the night and begged them to leave. He and all his people were afraid that they might die if they did not let people's, God's people go. So Pharaoh finally said go, um, and they began their, began their long journey. Like a mighty army, they took their possessions. Now think about how many people this would have been a huge crowd and they took the silver and the gold and the clothing that the frightened Egyptians gave them and followed their new leader Moses out into the wilderness God commanded Moses to do an unusual thing instead of instructing Moses to take the people on the usual routes because there were usual routes we're not usually told that but they could have gone on the trade routes they could have gone, you know, in the more populated areas, but instead of doing that, um, they went through this other way, through the desert. And that saved them from military checkpoints and, 
and potentially being attacked. But Moses led them to the Red Sea, directly to the Red Sea. Desert on one side, desert on the other side. And it looked like they had made a big mistake. The, the Egyptians looking at that thought, aha, we can still stop them. They looked like they were wandering around in the middle of the desert with no clue where they were going. Now that could have been true. However, I'm thinking that Pharaoh decided that this was too good of an opportunity to pass up. It was the perfect setup for a military victory. Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he said to his servants, what were we thinking about to let all of our servants go? We need to bring them back. Now, in every period of time, professional armies have had at least one great weapon of war. Something that, that struck the fear into the hearts of their enemies. In the ancient world, the chariot was such a weapon. So remember that piece that talks about chariots, not just the fancy ones, but the regular ones. And these were these would strike fear into anyone they went against. Um, and Pharaoh was prepared to use his chariots that could go a whole lot faster than those people could walk to stop his servant, the servants that he depended on to do all the work in his courts, etc. He had this thing to stop them and he sent them out. It says that he sent out 600 of his best chariots. You know, I've always thought when I've heard this story, maybe 10, maybe 20, but we're, they're talking 600 chariots. Now, there were a lot of people, granted, but can you imagine looking behind you and seeing 600 chariots headed your, your direction? I'm guessing that the people of Israel were feeling pretty hopeless when they saw that sight. Pharaoh's chariots were thundering up behind him. To their left and right was nothing but desert. And in front of them was the deep waters of the Red Sea. I did some Googling to find out how deep was the Red Sea. Because, you know, through the years, I've often heard things like, um, oh, yeah, they just went through a, a kind of a shallow part of the, the sea, and, and that's not the case here. At the deepest, the Red Sea is about 8,000 feet deep. An average is about 1,650 feet. Okay, the tallest person in the group might have been six-something. Imagine looking over your head at 1,650 feet of water, not to mention that it might have been more than that. But we'll, we'll take 1,650 feet as our idea. Imagine what that might have felt like. 
And I'll tell you, we really can't. However, however, I think that sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we are blocked in. If we go forward, there's this insurmountable object in front of us. If we go to the sides, those things aren't good choices either. And behind us is something else that we don't want to deal with. I think that sometimes we find ourselves blocked in on all sides. So I think when we're looking at this idea, we've been talking about the promises of God and how God showed up for people. We've been doing that for several weeks now, building our rainbow as we go. We started, remember, with Noah and the fact that the promise that, that Noah was given was for all flesh, all creatures. And we have gone through that whole thing, and we've talked about that. This is another situation that isn't exactly one of the covenants, but I think it's a promise. Because I think that sometimes we forget that God shows up for us even when things are tough. I think we forget that God shows up in ways that we might not recognize at first. You know, we're told in this story that there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. I don't know about you. Have you seen a pillar of fire? Have you seen a pillar of cloud? However, I wonder if you've been in a situation where things are so hard you can't see a way out. And then the way out appears. I wonder if you recognize that as God delivering you to safety. Often we have to have that hindsight piece. We don't see God's presence and what God has done for us until it's all over. I think we do. And when we look at things with hindsight, we ask the kind of questions that we might ask those Israelites. Why didn't you believe after God did all those things? All of those plagues. Why didn't you believe that God would provide a way out? And then we wonder at how those Israelites could kind of complain against God and against Moses when they had seen all that they had seen. But let me ask you this. When things get really hard in our country, in our world, in our homes, in our communities, who do we blame? I think it's a human thing. It's always the leader's fault that something has happened. That's what those Israelites were doing for Moses. Moses was the person that called them out of Egypt, actually of God. But they don't see it that way. Not exactly. Some of them probably complained to God, but they were also complaining with Moses. And that happens other times in that story, that recalculating piece, where it's Moses and Aaron's fault that they don't have any food, and it's Moses and Aaron's fault that they don't have any water. Those things, are. I think that's just a human thing. I think that it's human not to see 
how God is present with us and rescues us and brings us and calls us into a place. Remember, we did that Romans 8.28 thing the last couple of weeks. God works for good in all circumstances. God is working for good in all circumstances. And we don't always see it. Because we're human. We are. That doesn't change the fact that God is always working for good. The fact that we don't see it doesn't change that. God is working for good. So I think that salvation, safety, still comes from God. The good in our lives still comes from God. And sometimes God intervenes and we actually respond. And we do what we're called to do to bring about good for everyone. And God can intervene in the most hopeless of situations if we do our part. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that I am. I know that you all had this vision of, of building affordable housing next door. And I came late in that process. And I've seen how hard y'all have worked. I've seen it. And the very fact that we're going to come out of that with just a fraction of the debt that it would have been to build that is amazing. And I'm so impressed with the vision that came from here. God brings salvation to helpless people. Maybe we won't recognize it when we see it, but I can assure you that God keeps God's promises to work for good. God does that. And when I think about being in an impossible situation, my brain goes back to that, what is it, Cecil D. Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments, and there's a scene in there where you see the dry land and you see the water on either side, and I'm reminded that God can move mountains. And I'm reminded that God can make dry land when there's none, and God can provide safety when there's no safety. I'm reminded of those things. I'm also reminded that those Israelites had to have enough courage to step between those two walls of water. You see, because I don't think that we're as courageous as we can be. I don't think we're as courageous as we are created to be. And sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone and step into that place that's kind of scary. Y'all have done that. You've done that. 
And now we've been together over a year. And we're coming to another place of stepping into the dry land, and that is we're getting ready to, to call a new pastor. And sometime in the new year, that will happen. And as we work toward that, I will become less, and your new pastor will become more, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But I hope that one of the things I've installed in you in the time we've been together is this, is to remind you every time we're together, to remind you who you are and whose you are, and that we have a God who is faithful, a God who works for good in all circumstances, even if it's frustrating. Even if the chaos is around us. Now it may be that our apartments won't open while I'm still with you. That may be true. But my love and my appreciation stands. It really does. We recalculate as many times as we need to recalculate. We do. We are resilient that way. Because we believe that God is always present. Even when there is chaos around us. Even when we are afraid that the worst will happen. We need to believe that God wants us to know that God is here. So deep waters are all around us. Friends, I conclude with this idea. Don't fear the deep water. God has delivered his people through them long ago. God will deliver us through the deep waters, the struggles that we have today. In the meantime, never forget that you have each other. Ever, ever forget that. Perhaps we are the pillar. Perhaps we are the guiding light for our neighbors and our friends. And you can bet the people around us are watching us as we take steps into the dry land, into the unknown, and realize that God is with us. Thank you, God, for that. Amen.